Warning. The following contains spoilers pertaining to the show and subject matter discussed. Also, strong language and adult content may be included. Listener discretion is advised. Thank you. Hurry! We're going to miss the bus! I'm coming, I'm coming! The bus shouldn't be early. Besides, the stop is right around the corner. We should be able to get on the bus before the rain gets here. You mean that bus? Crap. Okay, no problem. We'll just splurge on a cab and hustle down to the Golden and make it inside before the rain hits. Taxi! 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 Hey, thank you. Um, unlock the door? Where are we going? To the theater district. What does that matter? Hey, what? where are you going? Damn it! Come on. We're just going to have to make a run for it. I guess we don't have much of a choice. It will give us a chance to work off that amazing dinner at Ariba Ariba. Okay, let's go. Ah! Damn it! What? Are you okay? Yeah, it's just these cheap shoes. The damn heel broke. Guess I'm going barefoot. That sucks, but hooray for a foot bath? It's fine. Man, when it rains, it pours. Really? Phrases at like that at a time like this? Besides, I feel like a better one would be, boy, it sucks to be me. Ha ha. I see what you did there. Come on, we're almost there. At least we're seeing the perfect show tonight that will really make us revel in our schadenfreude. Ain't it the truth? Stage Whisper. I'm your host, Hope Bird, and with me is my co-host, Andrew Cortez. Today, we are going to be discussing the hilarious hit musical show, Avenue Q. So hurry and take your seats. It looks like the show is starting. Hello, everyone and welcome into today's performance of Stage Whisper. Today we are going to take you to a stroll down a street we all know and love. And if we are all honest with ourselves, we've been there at least once in our lives. It's a show that we all didn't realize we needed, but after experiencing it, realized it was long overdue. Of course, I'm speaking of the surprise hit comedy, Avenue Q. So let's begin by assembling our design team. The memorable music and lyrics were written by Robert Lopez and Jeff Marks, and the hilarious book was written by Jeff Witte. Conquering the task of creating the world of Avenue Q was Anna Luizos, whom created the set, Miria Rada, the costumes, and Hal Binkley, the lights. The sound was done by Acme Sound Partner, and the animation designs were done by Robert Lopez. The puppet design was by Rick Lyon, and choreography was by Ken Robertson. Steering the ship as the director was Jason Moore. The show draws inspiration from the format of a children's television show. Think Sesame Street. Jeff Marks met Robert Lopez at a songwriting class at the BMI workshop. As part of the workshop, the two decided to write songs for a possible Muppet movie based on Hamlet called Kermit, Prince of Denmark. Their classmates encouraged them to have a puppeteer perform the song, and so they met with Rick Lyon through a mutual friend. He performed the song while sitting on a stool in full view of the audience. After their, after their pitch was turned down by the Henson family, the group decided to do a parody of Sesame Street with original puppets. After the show was presented for potential producers in the year 2000, a pair of Broadway producers expressed interest in developing it into a theatrical production. The show consisted of three human characters and 11 puppet characters. One of the human characters is Gary Coleman, who is often portrayed by a woman. They say that they chose Coleman because his situation was someone uh, was someone who has gone through something that illustrates one of the most important themes of the show. When Coleman died in 2010, the dialogue was modified. 
The show first set up shop at the Vineyard Theater on March 19, 2003. There it would play 72 performances through May 19th of that year. The musical then changed its address and set up shop on July 31st, 2003 at the Golden Theater. It ran there for 2,534 performances. The show closed at the Golden Theater on September 13th, 2009. But it wasn't done yet. From there, it would directly move to New World Stages and reopen on October 9th, 2009, where it would continue to play until its final closing on May 26, 2019. When the Tony Awards were announced in 2004, the show received six nominations and was dubbed a dark horse in several of its categories. By the end of the evening, the show would walk away with three. Best Original Score, Best Original Book, and Best Musical. So, let's take a stroll down Avenue Q. The story starts with a recent college graduate, Princeton, who is anxious to discover his purpose in life. He knows first he must find an apartment and a job, but with no work experience and an English degree, what do you do with a BA in English? Beginning his search in Avenue A, he finally finds an adorable apartment on Avenue Q, which is in the outer, outer borough of New York City. He meets his new neighbors, Kate Monster, a kindergarten assistant teacher, Rod, an obsessively neat Republican investment bank banker, Nikki, Rod's Slayer roommate, Brian, an aspiring comedian recently laid off from his day job, Christmas Eve, Brian's Japanese fiancé and therapist who has no clients, and of course, Trekkie Monster, a surly recluse who surfs the internet all day in search of porn, and Gary Coleman, the building superintendent. A debate ensues over whose life sucks the most, though they do conclude that Coleman's life sucks the most by the end of the song. It sucks to be me. Nikki, who is straight, suspects that Rod is gay and assures him that it's okay with him if he's gay, but Rod is extra insistent that he is not gay, and Nikki and him sing the song, If You Were Gay. Princeton finds a lucky penny and longs to discover his purpose in life through song. After he's done singing, we see Kate revealing, to her, revealing her dream to Princeton. She wants to start a Montessori school for, or a Monstersori school for young people of fur. Princeton then innocently asks Kate if she and Trekkie were related, since they are both monsters. Offended, Kate angrily pronounced his assumptions racist. Princeton, taken aback, counters that Kate's monster story school would discriminate against non-monsters. They and their neighbors agree that racism is an adult reality and come to the conclusion that everyone's a little bit racist. Princeton receives money from his parents and the Bad Idea Bears, whom our two charming troublemakers convinced him to spend it on beer. Yay! <laughs> Kate's boss, the kindergarten teacher, Mrs. Thistletwat, assigns Kate to teach the next morning's class, her first solo teaching opportunity. She decides that her lesson will be about the internet and all its educational attributes. But Trekkie Monster and the other neighbors explain another reality of adulthood. Many adults, even normal people, use the internet to find, well, pornography because the internet is for porn. Princeton gives Kate a mixtape. His song selections are puzzling to her and make her wonder what message he's trying to send. But eventually she decides that he must like her through his mixtape. And sure enough, at the end of the song, he invites her on a date to the Around the Clock Cafe. Brian happens to be the cafe's MC and does his raunch stand-up act, I'm not wearing underwear today, and is told to get a job at the end of the song by his fiancée. Before exiting, he introduces Lucy the Slut, 
a skanky strip dancer who wows the guys, especially Princeton, with her seductive cabaret number who will make you feel mm, mm, special. The Bad Idea Bears suggest that Kate and Princeton order some harmless Long Island iced teas. And once Kate is totally inebriated, Princeton should take her home to his bed. Once they arrive, the two have enthusiastic, high-decibel sex. Gary fields angry calls from other tenants but refuses to interrupt because you can be as loud as the hell you want when you're making love. (laughs) Meanwhile, in their apartment, Rod hears Nikki say, I love you, Rod, in his sleep and is jubilantly wondering if after all this time his feelings are reciprocated. But... Eventually, he realizes that it was he who was dreaming. And at the same time, Kate and Princeton profess their mutual love, and Princeton gives Kate his lucky penny. The next morning, a hungover Kate oversleeps and misses her teaching assignment. Mrs. Thistletwat berates her, and Kate angrily quits her job before she can be fired. Christmas Eve decides unilaterally that it is time that she and Brian were married. At the wedding, Nikki blurts out his suspicion that Rod is gay. Rod, furious, insists he has a girlfriend that uh, that lives in Canada. Yeah! And Nikki is no longer welcome in their apartment. When Kate catches Christmas Eve's wedding bouquet, Princeton panics, confesses a fear of commitment, and asks Kate if they can just be friends. Kate retorts that she has already has plenty of friends and breaks off their relationship. A despondent Princeton has been holed up in his apartment after breaking up with Kate, but is crazed out by the neighbors. They implore him that there is life outside your apartment. Lucy just happens to be by and is looking for a place to crash and seduces the rebounding Princeton. Kate is angry at this, but Christmas Eve explains that she would not be angry if she were not in love with him. Kate writes a note to Princeton suggesting that they rendezvous at the Empire State Building and leaves it with Lucy, who promptly destroys it. A homeless Nicky laments his fate to Gary, who confesses that he is deriving pleasure from Nick's misfortune. He explains this using the word schadenfreude. On the viewing platform of the Empire State Building, Kate, thinking that Princeton has stood her up, throws his lucky penny away. Hundreds of stories below, Lucy, walking by on Fifth Avenue, is knocked unconscious unconscious by that same penny. Kate and Princeton unsuccessfully try to work out their problems over Lucy's comatose body. Rod is too proud to accept Nikki's repeated apologies, despite clearly missing him, and tearfully consults Christmas Eve. Princeton, Kate, and Nikki all dream about returning to happier times, like when they were in college. Princeton gives his still homeless panhandling friend Nikki a quarter and marvels at how fantastic he feels afterwards. Since uh, since he only thinks about himself and has gotten him nowhere, he decides to raise money to build Kate's monster story school. He solicits, he solicits everyone, even breaking the fourth wall to shake down the audience, but the results are disappointing. Trekkie Monster, recalling his own traumatic school experience, donates $10 million and explains to astonishing neighbors, In volatile market, only stable investment is porn! Yay! Kate joyfully opens her new school. Brian lands a consulting job. And Christmas Eve finally has a paying client, Rod. So the newlyweds move to a better neighborhood. Rod finally comes out, to no one's surprise, and takes Nikki back in. Nikki finds Rod a new boyfriend, Ricky, a muscle-bound hunk who otherwise looks and sounds exactly like Nikki. The Bad Idea Bears discover Scientology. Lucy recovers from her head injury and becomes a born-again Christian and takes a vow of chastity. Kate and Princeton agree to give the relationship another go. A new college graduate inquires about the vacancy in the building And Princeton has an epiphany. Maybe his purpose is to put everything he has learned into a Broadway musical. Everybody, especially the new guy, immediately ridicules him. Are you high? Yeah, and I'm not a little kid. Fuck you! The cast reminds Princeton that 
in the real world, many people never find their purpose in life. But life goes on one way or the other, and everything both good and bad is only for now. And now you've been welcomed, shaken down, introduced, and all that jazz to Avenue Q. So why don't we go ahead and break it down one by one? Um, let's start with the plot and the story. Uh, before, Actually, before we do that, let me just say, if you have not seen Avenue Q before. Or listened to or Avenue Or listen to it. You need to and have Sesame Street ruined for your entire lifehood. I mean, it's... I, I actually, um, well, I'll get to that in the stories, how I got introduced to it. But it's raunchy. It's it's awful in all the right ways. Um, but it's it's perfect for that whole concept of, like, adult, like hashtag adulting. Yeah. Because how many of us adults have been like, God, I wish there was just some sort of guidebook or recommendation on how to deal with these things in adult. And that's kind of the funny direction that Avenue Q takes because it's basically, it's basically Sesame Street for adults. Well, that, let's just dive in then to the views on the plot and the story. I think it's hilarious. It's relatable. It's honest. It's real. The, um, what am I thinking of? The, the, the source in which they use to communicate it, the... The vessel that they're choosing to create to, to communicate it through being the puppets, mm-hmm. you know, is unique. You know, we're not doing a show that's dark and it's like life is hard and the world is racist and cruel and we really laugh at the horrible thing. They're using these puppets and it's it's that cynical way, you know, I love that the bad idea bear is always like, yay, everything's yeah, like, happy. And it's like, take her home. She's wasted. Yay. Well, I just like the... Oh boy, I don't know if I can afford this. Take out another credit card. Yeah. And it's like this these horrible ideas. What should I do with this money? Buy more beer. Yeah. You if you're passed out, you can't make decisions, you know? It's this horribleness, but because it's like fluffy little puppets saying it, you're like, "Oh, I guess it's all good." You know? But, you know, you pull back a little and you're like, Oh my God, though, this is like what adulting is like when you get your paycheck at the end of the week and you're like, okay, I got to pay the bills and what do I have left? What should I do with this? I probably should get some food. And you have that little voice in the back of your head like, or, or, hear me out. We can't be hungry if we're passed out drunk. Right? Or we could go <laughs> out and maybe someone else will buy us food, you know? Um, so I just think it's it's incredibly ingenious that they're using that vessel to communicate serious issues. One of the things that I laugh about True and honestly, is a song everyone's a little bit racist. Now, look, I know that we're in a in a time right now where we shouldn't laugh at racism, and I'm not saying that racism is funny in any way, but to point out that you know what, there there is no one among us that is not just a little bit racist, and that's exactly what the song is saying to anyone that gets out there and touts about I'm never racist, I've never hated someone. It's like mm, I don't know, friend. Have you ever done this? And it's like, well, yeah, but that's not racism. And it's like, oh, but it is. Mm-hmm. You know, I I think it's really clever. And it's kind of saying we're all not perfect. So don't mm-hmm. try to be. And I think that's absolutely well, wonderful. And one of my favorite parts is the ending. The whole concept of for now. Like everything in life is only for now. And it's this cute little lullaby that just kind of, you know, there are times in my life where I'm feeling really depressed. And, you know, well, I just they, hear they, the melody in the back of my head. And I'm like, you know what? You're right. It's only for now. They always adjusted the lyrics, some of these lyrics that, for the times uh, when the show came out. And they usually pick the things that are the worst. So when the show came out, George Bush was president. So at the time, there were, and if you listen to the recording, it says George Bush is only for now, you know. Um, at one point, I know that there was a production done. I'm sure they did. Trump is only for now. If you look, if you do a Google search, uh, 
Avenue Q got together via Zoom and it wasn't just like the original cast. It was like anyone that was in Avenue Q and they all did like a concert. But there's they they show the for now and they did COVID is only for now, <laughs> you know. Well, because like, it's just it's a great vessel for themes that are constantly playing out through your adulthood. Yeah, and I love the line, except for death and paying taxes. Everything in life is for... It, it's all passing. So yeah. it deals with genuine issue, issues, and they're showing that they're being handled in a genuine way. You know, we really do... Everyone would like to think that adults adult in, like, this methodical, wise, oh, well-thought way. Oh, everyone would like to think that adults have their shit together, and that if you're looking to the adult in the room, they know exactly how to fix whatever's happening. Unless it's, happening. like, grandma or grandpa, no. Like, I literally love the point, those posts where it's, like... I looked around the room today for the adult and then I realized that I was the adult and I'm like, yeah, anyone that's under 45 today is that person. No one has their shit together. No one knows what they're doing. They don't sugarcoat in the show. It's raw and it's clever and it's served up in such a PBS feel good way. Like I feel like at some point Betty White should be coming out and being like, if you're enjoying today's show for just $10 a month, you could support the Broadway League, you know what I mean? Like, there should be a telethon. It's just that clever. So that leads us into the costumes. They were simple. They were clever. For those who were wearing, I'll say, full-on costumes, the puppeteers were in black, but then everybody else was, I guess, lending or or, or amplifying their character. Their, their, what, what would you call it? It would be their stereotype. They were yeah. all dressed in their stereotypical costumes that basically spelled out their character. You know, uh, Gary Coleman was a handyman. Christian C. was an Asian-American. and Rod was in a suit. Nikki was in a hoodie. Christmas Eve was in a kimono. Brian looked like an unemployed party guy. Uh, Princeton looked like a, a college graduate. Um, and... Um, you know, they all Trekkie Monster looked like a hot mess. In fact, this is going to sound like a very gross description. Trekkie Monster looked like a furry pile of tissues. Yeah. But, you know, it worked. Um, the set was so smart because it looked very Sesame Streety, but like Grungy. Sesame Street hood. Like, yeah, well, Sesame like, Street after dark. Well, at one point, like the pizza boxes come to life and they're singing in the trash. Yes, and the you know? and, and and the boxes come to life during purpose and everything. But like, just I, it was just a little grungier. It was like Sesame Street around the corner. You know, you've got you've got the pleasant Sesame Street, and then if you go right around the corner, you know, it's just like Sesame Street or something. I don't know. It, but it worked. The thing that you you immediately knew when you walked in what you were about to see. Mm-hmm. You still felt like it was a children's show of some sort, uh, which was really great. They also used um, on the sides of the stage. There were these televisions that they used for like um, these, like interfacing, like like you know how in Sesame Street they do cutaways to be like today's letter is A. Yeah, and they would do it to in between scenes. So like uh, when the, you know the the driving theme is purpose, and at one point uh, when. Uh, Princeton's thinking about commitment. It's like purpose, purpose, and it squeezes out the U into an O, and it drops an R, and it's like propose, <laughs> you know. But it's in that very like Sesame Street animated kind of way. During the opening number, there's a whole thing. Uh, the whole opening number happens only on the television screens. It's a little yeah. sunshine thing that's like happening, but it's all depressed and it's got kind of a Family Guy esque kind of humor to it, you know. With the dark comedy kind of thing. It's it's really clever. Um, you know, so that goes along with the lights. They're clever, concise. Clean. Yeah. They're bright. You know, it's going to be a comedy. But it still displays, like, grunginess, especially, like, when they're at the Around the Clock Cafe. It, you feel dirty. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, it just... It, the lighting effect in the set just makes you feel dirty. It's very... Lower Dirty. East Side feeling like I, I might want a napkin on my seat kind of thing, you know. Especially if the entertainment is the star of Girls Gone Wild. Parts 2, two 5, and, and 7. seven. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's not a clean place, but, you know. Uh, I mean, that's the nice beauty about simple, clean lighting. Like, 
it sets you up for this is what this is. This is a comedy. They're not trying to overdo something. They're not trying to oversell it. There's not a million gobos. It's just nice, simple. I need to, You need to be seen. Here you go. Mm-hmm. It's beautiful. The props, which I'll include the puppets with, they're unique. They're amazing. Um, the puppets are great. Mm-hmm. They really are. Um, and they look as simple as, you know, those bad idea bears that look like those cute little teddy bears. Uh-huh. To these fantastic puppets that, you know, um, Rod looks so conservative. It's not even funny. Like, you could set your watch to his hair. He looks like the kind of guy in the subway that you're totally like, does he know he's gay? Should I tell him he's gay? Mm-hmm. Well, and even just, like, like the boxes that are there during purpose, you know, uh, Princeton's moving boxes or puppets, and... They're even just like light bright. Oh, yeah. Okay. Even though they're like old dingy boxes. And I want to give props to the people, the actors who. You want to give props to the props? I want to give props to the props. Uh, (laughs) No, to the actors who are handling the puppets because it's not easy doing this. But what's great is these puppets really are brought to life and they have a personality. And, you know, several of these, well, all of these actors who are puppeteers are playing multiple characters. They're multiple puppets. And so to be able to create these multiple personalities, but be able to perform, but we don't watch the actor. We weren't watching John, John Tartaglia or, or um, you know, any of the others. We were actually watching the, the puppet. Mm-hmm. And that's fantastic. And that's how it should be. And so these puppets genuinely had a personality. You, I genuinely, when I hear these songs, I don't think of the actor. I think of the actual puppet. Right. But one thing I do love about that is the expression expressed by the puppet is mimicked by, by the, the puppeteer. puppeteer exactly and so it doesn't matter if you were watching one or the other they both were they were the same it was thing. an extension of the other exactly yeah. um on to the direction um the show is generally just so taboo and tongue-in-cheek but so enjoyable and relatable i mean it's one of those like i i want to bring my mom to but i also don't like, it's so funny, but you're also like, man, right. this could get awkward fast in a hurry. That, you can be as loud as the hell you want scene. Man. Right, but I feel like this is also a show that I want every single adult ever to see. Like, you should have to watch this when you turn 18 instead of, you know, like, when you're younger, you have to watch something about maturation. This time, it's like, okay, yeah, we're going to watch Avenue Q. Get ready for adulthood. Well, and I mean... Like, I thought Game of Thrones was just awkward, in my opinion. I'm going to put this... I'm going somewhere with this. I promise. I thought Game of Thrones was awkward because I watched the first few episodes with my folks, and that's just a reason for therapy. There's so much gratuitous sex in there and violence. But with this show, I'm just like... "Mm." I mean, it's uncomfortable in the right way. Like, it literally is saying exactly what we are all thinking or wish we could say. You know, yeah. all those thoughts and things that you hold in because you're like, or, it's it's not PC to say this. Right, or you're like, like, oh my gosh, I'm a terrible person for thinking this. Yeah, no, you totally wish horrible things on other people, even though you're like, no, I just want everyone to be happy. And all. No, bullshit. You are the type of person that someone cuts you off. I'm the guy that like, when I get cut off in traffic or something, I'm like, oh, I hope you get a parking ticket. No, what I really hope, you know, is I hope someone just scratches up your new Beamer. Um, But it brings to the forefront the worst side of all of us. But at the same time, it also shows the best of us in the same scene. We're all horrible humans. We're all horrible horrible. together. Yeah, but we also can do good things. You know, um, I've always said that like New York, when people are like New Yorkers are rude, I'm like, no, hold on. Like, why why was a New Yorker rude to you? Were you like sauntering down the street at rush hour in a busy area and then we're like, you need to get out of the way? Because I'm like, New Yorkers can be very rude and direct people. But I'm like, they're also some of the greatest people in the world because they'll come together and do anything for you. You know? That's what I mean. We're all horrible people that can come together and do great things. Most of the time. Right. Well, and I think we should also talk about the choreography. Which was just simple. I mean, like, it. I, I think back on it, I'm like, is there choreography? And yeah, there's choreography. But it's just so, like, it fits that Sesame Street theme that, like, and, you know, you're supposed to be, like, following along and being able to yeah. dance with them. Yeah, you're just, you're marching around the stage a little bit. Or there's just, like, choreographed hand movement. It's not, like, it's not carousel. It's 
It's just these simple little moves. There's a reason they didn't win the Tony for choreography. Right, but in sim- in simplicity, you get beauty. Yeah, it, it didn't. It wasn't. The show is not designed or meant for like flashbang choreography. Yeah. We didn't need Casey Nicola on this. Yeah, this isn't the, the brilliance of the show is that they came in and they did exactly what they needed to do. They didn't do any less. They didn't do any more. It was very Coco Chanel of take one thing off before you leave the house kind of thing. If you had added anything more and tried to make it more than it was, it would have ruined it. And if you had done anything less, it wouldn't have been able to be taken seriously, if that makes sense. It was mm-hmm. it hit the sweet spot in, in being just <clears throat> right there. As always, as we always do, we'd like to mention uh, some of the notable cast members. I mentioned earlier John Tartaglia. Also want to mention Jennifer Barnhart, Rick Lyon, and Stephanie D'Abruzzo. I probably butchered that name. Another amazing fact is that the puppets cost up to uh, $10,000 each and require up to about 120 hours of hand fabrication per character. Um, Also, Rick Lyon... Um, who was in the cast, also built the puppets. There are three types of puppets used in the show. Rod puppets, live hand puppets, and mechanized and freehand puppets. I just also would like to point out that Rod is a rod puppet. Oh my God, that's terrible. (laughs) You know, uh, this is a great feel-good fact. Um, You know, just to kind of keep bouncing off this. um, All the money collected during the money song was donated to Broadway Cares Equity Fights AIDS. So they're doing good work, which is nice. On September 30th, 2004, the cast presented their version of the presidential debate in Times Square and called it Avenue Q&A, complete with puppets of Bush and Kerry. There have been a lot of promotional events involving involving the puppets and cast from Avenue Q, such as Broadway Equity Fights AIDS benefits, where Trekkie Monster played... Fiddler on the Roof, a Avenue Jew. In response to the Muppets' Bohemian Rhapsody, the cast did a cover and video of Queen's We Will Rock Q. And we are the champions. Hey, have you seen us lately? Calling all the shots, even with the ninja roster. Time to know, it's time to believe that the time is now that we're gonna make it bleed. Top shelf is always open. That's the place where Kessler rocks the water bottle float. Daniel and Henrik are always causing pain with the tape to tape pass that'll mesmerize your brain. Burrows flying at you with the heat as clean as Mrs. Cleaver from the show. Leave it to be. So let's now talk about the impact the show has had on the theater and its history. Well, I mean, I know our last episode we spent a lot of time talking about puppets. I feel like there's a theme here. Right. I'm, I'm concerned <laughs> that, like, I don't know what show we're going to do next, but it's going to be something about puppets. Right. But, I mean, I really think that this was a different new way of puppets that we haven't seen presented on stage. But there was something very, like, classic feeling about it. There was something that just kind of felt like home. It was, like, a scaled-down version of Julie Taymor's puppetry. It wasn't as... Like, I don't want to I don't want to take away from it because it is artistic. I mean, well, yeah, scenes but it's, get made. It's, it's still high art, but it's like... It's dialed back where it's not this like super artsy thing where it's more like this is a this. no it is it is literally Sesame Street that's yeah. why it feels so comforting because it's something that at this point um, you know since Sesame Street has been around for so long that most uh, almost all adults have had the experience of watching Sesame Street when they came to see Avenue Q. It's like literally going from antiques roadshow and watching these great works on pbs i'm gonna make a pbs joke here going from antiques roadshow and watching these great works of art and then the next show afterwards is bob ross and he's helping you make something at home yeah it that's, just that's lion king to avenue q it's still great quality but it's got that homemade feel to it a little bit more right but it was very professionally done and it was really i don't know it's really nice you know I, that's one thing I remember moving from, you know, my childhood to my, um, you know, being an adult is being like, oh, well, you know, no one's going to talk to me and tell me the answers. And so it was very comforting to be like, oh, hey, you know. Well, it brought something familiar to you because I I really, I'm going to go back to a meme, that meme that says one day you went out and played with your friends and did it for the last time and didn't realize it. 
There's a lot of things in our childhood that we didn't mm-hmm. realize. Like, this was the last cartoon show we were going to watch. This is the last time you were going to watch Sesame Street. This is the last time you're going to watch Mr. Rogers or something. You didn't realize it. You know, and I, I look at some of the things that, like, our goddaughter or even ki- kids before that would be like, oh, this is what I grew up with and whatnot. And I'm like, didn't any of you watch Bugs Bunny do the opera thing? Didn't any of you watch Sesame Street? Sesame Street's not on PBS anymore. It's on HBO. Wait, what? You know what I mean? Like, there are things that I grew up with that I'm now like, do I, am I ever going to get this back? And this show kind of was like, yeah, no, don't worry about it. You carry this on. They all grew up with you as well. And they also have the same sailor mouth you do. Right. Well, and the other thing I really like about this is it reminded us that it's okay to be crass on Broadway. It's yeah. okay to be, you know, I don't know. It, it doesn't have to be highbrow, you know, comedy to be in entertaining. It introduced a whole new vision and form of style and a craft storytelling form that is PBS Kids kind of thing. I imagine it very much like Joan Rivers' mouth with the Betty White smile. Okay. Joan Rivers had no filter. She didn't care. She was gonna. She was funny. She was funny, but she was lewd as all get out. She could run with the boys, if you will, for her time. And and just t- and and she could be dirty and, and tell jokes just as well. And in a time when women weren't supposed to speak like that, and Betty White was is as we all know. I mean, it's Betty White, you know. Um, and she'd smile and she was like America's sweetheart and she's America's grandma, you know. And she's a huge proponent for PBS. And I just see it as like Joan Rivers with a, a scotch in the corner, just making these obser- these crude observations about people and things and life. But it's Joan Rivers' jokes being told by Betty White. So you're like, oh, I love Betty White. This is great. But then you're like, this doesn't sound like Betty White material. (laughs) You know. Uh, As far as societal impact goes, I think it shows an honest and upfront look of what we as a society are. You know, our faults, mostly, and also our skewed points of view. Right. Well, because we are all are the center of our own universe. You know, yes. and oftentimes as adults, we tend to forget that we are not the center of everyone else's universe. I mean, a great point. We just got back from a trip to New York. We went to a club called The Slipper Room. And when the show started, all these people came up and stood right in front of us where we couldn't see anymore. And you could tell that it they weren't going to move even though we asked them. And it, they seemed to make the case of like, we've been locked up and pent up during the pandemic and we've suffered so much. And it's like, we all did. Yeah, where did you think we were during this? I'm sorry, were you the only people affected by a pandemic? Because I'm really confused now. Are there people around the world who haven't been affected by this? I need to find this place. Like, it. this show reminds us that truly... We all go through the same from, shit. Yeah, from the opening number, it sucks to be me when we're all competing to see whose life sucks more. No, it just genuinely sucks to be all of us. It no sucks one to be an adult. No one cares how much your life sucks. Move on. Exactly. You know? um, but it also, again, like I've been saying, it sh- this is a show that also points out that no one is perfect. We all suck as well <laughs> as mm-hmm. humans. Um, try as we want, we also are, are terrible, terrible people. Or the greatest people you think are good. Mm, maybe not. Maybe not. Not so much. It talked about all the things previously labeled as taboo or off limits. Right. Things that you would expect to hear at like at a comedy club at 12 o'clock at night. Right. But not front row center, you know, at the Golden Theater on Theater Row in Broadway. Yeah. At at a matinee. You know what I mean? And they did it in a way that almost makes you feel dirty because of the use of the childlike innocence. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think that's important. You know what I mean? Like they're not... We're not shading these issues. No. And we're not going to like tiptoe around it where we're like, let's maybe talk about racism. Right. Or we're not going to use euphemisms or stuff like that. No. We're going to say the internet is for porn. You know. Porn, porn, porn. We're going to say it. Well, their sexuality and we should embrace it. You know, there's racism that exists in the world. And we all really do feel good when bad things happen to people. There's a reason why we laugh when people fall down. Like the hashtag instant karma. Everyone loves that stuff. Yeah. So is the show so relevant? Always and forever. 100% always will be Humans are still humans. So we will still continue to do the things that this show points out are both 
our faults and our follies. Because no matter how many new adults come into the world, we're all going to have these same problems. Absolutely. Like, sitting on the train in New York, listening to conversations, I can just hear the da-da-da-da. Da, 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 da. Right? I like, mean, yep. like, you're going to live in an apartment and hear your neighbors having sex. Yep. Like, you're going to hear it. It's just going to happen. Or or even as, as we now embark on, on getting our first place in New York, I'm just thinking, you know, what do we do with our degrees and <laughs> everything? And I'm like, right. dear God, please don't let us have the Avenue Q experience where we start in one neighborhood and we go to the next, we cross a bridge, we cross a bridge, we cross a bridge. You know? <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> Unless, of course, there is someone famous like Gary Coleman that's our landlord, in which case it's like, hey, wait a minute. You right? know, Jersey's not so bad. <laughs> and we just lost all our listenership in Jersey. Oops. But look, it's a funny, clever, and honest show. It's relatable. It's who we are, and it's how we deal with things. And I think now, more than ever, because let's be honest, everyone out there. This past year has sucked. Past year, past two years, it sucked. It has sucked, 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 sucked. And we maybe just need to take a minute to laugh at how much it sucked. You know? And remember, like, yeah. Whoever said things couldn't get worse, please stop saying that. Right. You're the reason bad (laughs) things happen. But we can also laugh and realize, okay, this really did suck, but we all all went through it together. And and, and I think the show allows us to laugh at that fact. Finally, as promised, we wanted to share some of our own personal stories about experiencing this show. So, away we go. So, I've seen the show five times. Three times on Broadway, once at New World Stages, and once at Salt Lake City at Kingsbury Hall. I've seen the show three times. Once on Broadway, New World Stages, and then in Salt Lake City at Kingsbury Hall. And, well, the first thing I want to say about this show, it has a very special place in my heart. It is very near and dear because this was the first Broadway show I ever saw on Broadway. Aww. Right? It was my... Hashtag, it was my... It it popped my cherry. Yeah. My theater cherry. Oh, I worked so hard to get you to that city that year. Yeah, you did. (laughs) So hard. Oh, goodness. I was so drunk asking your parents if you could come. Oh, God, that's an amazing story. That's a great tale for another time. (laughs) Um... So I got introduced to this show, actually, while I was still in high school, as a junior, by a student teacher. Um, and see, we thought, like, Wicked and everything was all the rage and all the, f- like, oh my gosh, this is amazing, blah, 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 blah. And he was like, well, have you heard of Avenue Q? And I'm like, what? And he showed us it. And of course, we're sheltered little Utahns. Now, we're not Mormons, but we're sheltered little Utahns. We're listening to this and we're like, What? There's theater out there that says these words and talks about these things. But I was also like, this is absolutely fantastic. Well, and I feel like so many Utahns thought that Wicked had won the best musical. Well, I'll get to that one okay. later. But so we were, I was like, this is amazing and I want to see the show. So I, um, me and my friends, we, we got to see a few shows on our own on this high school trip that I keep mentioning in previous episodes back in 2006. And this is one of the shows that we selected to go see. So my mom was on this trip with us, and she was a chaperone. And I was like, hey, so we're going to go see the show Avenue Q. We really want to see it. And my mom was like, oh, cool. I want to come with too. And I was like, I don't know if you want to, Mom. Like, it's like adult Sesame Street. No, 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 no. I love the theater. I want to come. I was like, okay. Now, naive 16-year-old me didn't realize how (laughs) adult Sesame Street this was. So, again, awkward. Again, especially during the loud as hell as you want scene. But truth be told, it was not... Myself, my mom, my friends, we were not the most uncomfortable people in the theater. For you see, two rows in front of us was an entire wrestling team from Ohio. And you're probably like, what's the big deal with that? Well, see, this wasn't like a college wrestling team, nor was it like a high school wrestling team. No, my friends... This was like a junior high, couldn't be more than seventh grade level wrestling team from Ohio who thought this would be fun 
because they're puppets. They did no homework on the show. They didn't pay attention to any of the explicit signs anywhere. No, and I mean, outside the theater, it's clearly not like a Sesame Street-esque thing. Like there is. But so all I can think is, you know, we've, we've had already these body songs. When we get to the you can be as loud as the hell you want when you're making love. I mean, everyone is doing sex. The puppets In every are, position. The puppets have sex. They are naked and having sex. You see 69 and everything like that. And all I could think is, good luck coaches explaining this to these kids. Like, what did we just see? Why did they flip around? What is it? Yeah, have fun with that, you know? So as uncomfortable as I was, I just had to remember two rows in front of me. There are probably these horrified coaches who thought they were going to see some family Muppet show and now have to explain what all of this is. <laughs> so it was great. Um, along those lines, um, <clears throat> we, well, I, I think I've told this story, but I've, I, it's so much fun. It's worth telling again. Uh, another tie to the show. When I saw Phantom of the Opera once, we went backstage. And if you don't dress up for the theater, tisk tisk, but uh, it's humid in New York. And mama doesn't do well in humidity. So I was sweaty. Andrew's mama. I am mama. And I, I, I was very sweaty, but I also had a backpack because I carried our supplies at this time in my backpack because Hope did not carry a purse at this time. And we had gotten a tour of the Phantom of the Opera. And as we came out of the Majestic Theater, the three theaters that share a backstage alley, the Majestic, the Golden, and the... Um, Schoenfeld. Uh-huh. Is that right? No. It's the other one. The one where we saw the color purple and the, and the bandstand. Mm-mm. It's not the Schoenfeld. Okay. Well, we'll go with the Schoenfeld. I don't feel like that's right because it's the same theater that once played at. Hope's going to look it up while I tell the story. <laughs> anyway, it doesn't matter right now. Um, but we came out of this giant door that blocked the the alley where these three stage doors were. And as I'm walking down, there's a big crowd who had been there to see Avenue Q. And I look sweaty and I have a backpack and I'm done up looking nice. And um, as I get down there, these people start handing me their Avenue Q playbills. And apparently either they just weren't paying attention to the show or I looked like someone from the cast of Avenue Q. But me being me, I'm just like, okay. So I start signing people's playbills doing my thing so there's a group of people out there with my signature and finally about five or six into it someone finally blurts out excuse me who were you in the show and i was like oh i wasn't in the show and i hand the playbill back and then i just walk off into the crowd down the eighth avenue so if you are listening and you have my autograph on your avenue q uh playbill you're welcome i hope it's worth something <laughs> Um, as it's the Schoenfeld. Uh, Schoenfeld. Oh, okay. Well, hey, what do you know? As Hope alluded to earlier, um, as in regards to awards, uh, there's a great story that's tied into this. Uh, my university, the University of Utah. Uh, you guys are learning more and more about us every day. Surprise! We went to the University of Utah. Go Utes! Uh, my university and our program did Avenue Q, and we actually got a grant to do this production. It was a really big deal. Um, I don't know if we were the f- first college to do it uh, or not. I think we were. But we actually made the puppets at our university. It was a huge... So we got to see the process be done in that. It was a huge, huge deal. And one of the original cast members, Jen Bernhardt, came out to teach us how to... Work with the puppets. Work, yep. And, and how to you know how, how to be a puppeteer, essentially. You got a crash course in, during the summer and everything about it. It was really cool. And she's an amazing amazing teacher and actress and puppeteer shout out to her but she was telling us about when the tony awards happened uh, avenue q was the last show to perform and they were backstage when they announced the best musical award and someone didn't get the memo because when they came and announced the best musical you know they go and the tony award goes to and the presenter goes avenue q but on all the video boards in in Radio City, it said Wicked. <laughs> oh, so they're all backstage looking at all this. It says Wicked, but the presenter said Avenue Q. And there was this confusion where they're like, wait, did did we win? And they're like, no, you, oh, yeah, you won, you won. Someone just messed up. So 
That's funny. I felt bad for that one. I'm like, schadenfreude. Right, right, right there. there. Live in action. <laughs> so, you know, I, I just think this this is such a great show. And I, I'm sure I've and got a million other stories. This show um, will always hold just such a special place in my heart. No matter what, it's always going to be in my top musicals. After seeing it the first time and, and seeing them collect the money, I'll never forget uh, that first trip my best friend Michael put a $50 bill in uh, to the give us your money thing because he thought it was a joke. He thought they give you the money back. and I was like, <laughs> So my friends Kayleen, Amanda, Danny, and I look at him and we're like, did you just put a $50 bill? He's like, yeah, they'll give it back. And we're like, no. how are they going to know that you put it in and they give it back to you? And then he's like, Oh, <laughs> but what's great is um, the scene after that. They go through some of the stuff that people actually put in, and it's hilarious because they're like, "Who put an MTA card? Well, I'll keep that. A library, a library card, really for a city that's not even here? You people are cheap, you know." And I start people would catch on to that, so it become the who, what, what's the most interesting thing you could put in the hat, so that they could get. Uh, I mean, it was great. As things begin to return to normal and the theater world starts to turn its lights back on, we look forward to returning to see this show again. You'll be able to catch Avenue Q at a regional theater near you somewhere in the fall, hopefully. We just want to mention as well that as things are opening up, we encourage all of you to support the arts, whether it be local, regional, or of course, Broadway. Now more than ever, it is time for us to raise up and foster the performing arts wherever they may exist. Please join us in doing your part to help the arts return by supporting a live performance near you. We ourselves have already begun this work, and we'll have a special announcement regarding this uh, to follow soon. So, until next time, I'm Andrew Cortez. And I'm Hope Bird. Reminding you to turn off your cell phones. Unwrap your candies. And keep talking about the theater. Stage whisper. Thank you. Two friends from old New York town met in a foreign land. One thing If you like what you hear, please leave a five star review, like, and subscribe. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Stage Whisper Pod. And feel free to reach out to us with your comments and personal stories at stagewhisperpod at gmail.com. Our theme song is Fox by Music for Wildlife. Other music on this episode provided by Jazzar, David Blair, Evan Schaefer, and Billy Murray. <laughs>